0: All right, well welcome everybody to Black Hawk Church. Welcome to everybody live in the room right now. Welcome to everybody joining us online. Hey, people in the room, can you help me welcome the people watching online right now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Welcome all sites, all venues, everyone who is watching from home right now. Look, I know we say this all, like, all the time around here, but it's really true. We are one church in a lot of locations. And we're glad that you're taking the time right now just to be able to be with us. Hey, before I hop into everything with a message, I wanted to be able to share a little bit about something that happened this past Friday night, which was just really incredible. We had our first uh, worship night that we did that that was here live in person for people in the room as well as online. And it was fantastic. I, it was just absolutely amazing. If you missed it, I want to give you a second just to see a little bit of what was taking place. So take a look at the screens for just a moment. The Oh Jesus just tell you, if you missed out on that night, the next one that we are doing, you just need to plan on being here. I was talking to somebody who actually, uh, right as I was walking in, who was saying, hey, just want you to know that worship night was amazing. I was like, and I kind of forgot about the online thing. I was like, really, were you here? He's like, no, I watched online, and it was amazing. So if you haven't got a chance to see it yet, you can go to our website and watch the entire evening. I think that you will just be blessed by having a chance to be able to worship the that way, it was incredible. And, uh, and let me just say too, to all of you who consider Blackhawk Church your home and you're in the game with us, um, kind of giving tithes and offerings here, thank you. Because, look, it's your gifts that give us the opportunity, not just to be able to do what we do on Sundays, not just to be able to do 56 ministry and life groups and all the different things around here, but to do nights like this. It's through the way that you give generously that we just have the opportunity to continue to be able to create places to worship and to help people understand the love of Jesus and experience it in different ways. So just thank you. Thank you for being in the game. And mark your calendar for the next one. I have no idea when that is, but whenever it is, you need to mark your calendar. So, well, I, uh, I wanna start us off by sharing a little bit of a story. How many of you um, have ever gone where you had to go shop for a new smartphone? My guess is, is that's all of you. So, or at least the vast majority of you, you know that whole process. Well, back a, a few years ago, my wife, Rachel and I, we were in the market for buying new phones. And uh, both at the same time. And so we went to the store, went and shopped, picked out a couple of new iPhones. The people there were kind enough to help us get everything set up. So everything from our old phone went on to the new phone. And, uh, And we were driving home. Now, I don't know about you, but I kind of love getting a new phone. There is something about, like, just fun about the new toy. I go onto YouTube, and I watch the videos of, like, okay, what's the stuff I need to know about the new phone? It just works better. It's faster. The battery lasts longer. The camera is better. And there are all these new things that you can do with a new phone that you're learning about your old phone couldn't do. So we're kind of in that thing. We drive home. We get into the parking lot, get out of the car. Rachel's hopping out of the car, forgets that her phone is on her lap, and her watch her phone in slow motion as it makes its way down to land face first on the concrete on the driveway, picks it up, and there is this massive crack all the way across the screen of her phone, insert groans right now. So it was the worst. I mean, as we looked at it and she looked at me, it was just like, oh, you've got to be kidding me. You know, She had had it for less than an hour. Let me, let me ask you, have you ever had that type of a situation happen? You get something brand new that you're really excited about and like in no time, you've barely unwrapped it. It's barely out of the box and it's already scratched or dented or broken, you know, cracked. We have those type of experiences You know, well, the reason why I bring that up is um, because we are, uh, if you're new around here, we're in this series that we're doing right now called Empowered for Mission, where we are taking a look at the book of Acts. And the book of Acts, so much of the beginning of it is about the the explosion of the early church. And we saw that just a couple weeks ago as we were looking at Acts chapter two, this explosion of the church that takes off. Well, we are now in chapter five, just three chapters in, And already this week, we're going to see cracks in the screen of what's taking place within the church. It's just broken. Now, to give us context, what I want to do is I want to go back just a little bit and start reading together actually in the book of Acts chapter 4. So if you brought your Bibles or if you've got a smartphone or anything like that at home, go ahead, open up to Acts chapter 4. And we're going to start with verse 32. Verse 32 says this. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything that they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them and brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. (laughs) Okay. You could kind of say that this was like the honeymoon period of the church. I mean, the things that were taking place, the way that the Holy Spirit was working in the lives of people was just amazing. I mean, we read in this passage to where like people, they had their own stuff, but they didn't think of it as their own and they just gave to other people. So no one had needs. You could say that there was a massive amount of unity within this church. And really, I mean, when we understand what scripture says, that is always a desire of God within the church. That we would be a community of people. His church would be a community of people. So people from different ages and stages of life, socioeconomic backgrounds, races, cultures, creeds, colors, all different. So loving one another and unified in this way, taking care of one another's needs. And really, Jesus alluded to this in the prayer that he prayed for the church the night before he was going to the cross. He was with his disciples in the upper room and he spent some time praying for his disciples. And then all of a sudden, the the prayer turns a corner and he begins to pray for all people who would ever come to the place of placing their faith in Jesus. And he says these words in John chapter 17. He says, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. You see, God's desire was that the church would be this unified group of people who would do an amazing job at caring for one another, taking care of one another's needs. And in this section of chapter four, we see that climaxing to where, I mean, to the point where people are bringing property and houses and selling them and putting them at the apostles' feet. And then we get to this crescendo moment, kind of this grand finale of what the author, Luke, is writing about in Acts that takes place. Go to verse 36 of chapter four for a second. It says, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Okay. Now this guy, Joseph, we're going to be hearing more about him as you, if you continue to read in the book of Acts, he becomes a character that you hear about quite a few different times. This guy, Joseph, the disciples, they like him so much. They change his name to Barnabas. We'll call him Barney for short, just to be able to move through this. And Barney goes and he sells an entire field. That's the picture that we're getting. This massive field brings all of the money and sets it at the disciples feet. I mean, it's just this picture of unity, this climax of the church, the way that it was supposed to work, honeymoon period. And then we get to chapter five, and all of a sudden the cracks in the screen start to happen. Let's go to chapter five, verse one. Now, a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think? of doing such a thing. You have not lied to human beings, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And a great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then young men came in, finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear seized the whole church, all who heard About these events. (laughs) Crazy story. Great fear seized the church. Surprise, surprise. I mean, these two people just dropped down and died. Like, I always think, you know, sometimes I'll talk to people who will say things like, I just wish that I could go back and live in the early church, the Acts 2 church. Everybody's sharing and doing everything like that. It would be such an amazing time. Yeah, well, keep in mind, that only lasted three chapters. And then people started dying. Like, just the, realize what you're getting yourself into as you say something like that. And this is one of those passages. I mean, if we're honest, this makes us uncomfortable, doesn't it? Like, you start to look at that, and I think that for any of us, regardless of where we're at on our spiritual journey, we would have questions on, like, God, why so harsh? Like, why does something like that take place? Why did these people actually have to die? Lord, it seems like you're coming kind of strong and sort of fierce in this moment, you know? And if I'm honest, I I don't really have good answers for that. It's one of those areas, this is a difficult passage for us to wrestle with. We're not given the answers that we would like to have. But what I want to do for a little bit of our time together, knowing a story like this, I want to be able to jump up kind of to 30,000 feet to take a look at God and who he is. And then in light of that, the way that he was working in this particular situation within the early church that I think will help to give us some perspective. You know, for, for us, when we think about the idea of God, there are all kinds of things that come to mind for us when we think about who God is. One of the things that should come to mind for us is that God is holy. He's a holy God. Now I know that we use that word, you know, I mean that sounds like a churchy word, but I don't think we always stop to really think about what that means. When we talk about God as a holy God, we're talking about God being perfect in goodness and righteousness and purity. Like he is he is perfect, he is spotless. Like there is no area of, of, of defection anywhere in him. That's, that's God. God is perfectly holy. We underestimate, in fact, the, the holiness, the way that God is holy. Okay, so God's up here. He's holy. And then there's human beings. And if there's anything we know about us, well, we're not all that holy. You know, in fact, I mean, we, we screw up all the time. We are broken people. It wouldn't take very long for any of us to come to that place, to go, yeah, we're broken. We are flawed. We don't do everything right. We haven't lived by God's standards. The way that scripture would talk about that, the way we would talk about that in the church, we would say that we are sinful. We are full of sin. We've fallen short of God's standards that he set. And, and in the same way we underestimate God's holiness, we underestimate our, our sin, we underestimate the depth of what really takes place in our lives, how far we actually are from God. There's this great chasm between us and holy God. And the thing is, we, we talk about around here a lot, the idea of grace and mercy and forgiveness. Those are good things. You know, I mean, we, <laughs> we're a church. We believe the idea, Jesus came to forgive us of our sins. We should talk about that. But when we talk about grace, mercy, forgiveness, those ideas, we're not talking about the idea that God just overlooks our sin because God's holy. He can't overlook it. God God hates our sin. It is foul and gross and putrid to him. He can have nothing to do with it. It's kind of like this. Let me see if I can give an example. Um, during the, you know, we're coming to the end of summer. During summertime, probably the thing that I love about Madison the most is the Madison Lakes. Like, I just love them. I'm on them as often as I possibly can be. I love, like, I have a tattoo of them on my shoulder, Probably not the right time to show you, but if you wanna see it some other time, I can show you. But I, I love the Madison Lakes. We live just pretty close to Lake Mendota. And so I'll be out there, I'll wake surf, I'll go boating with friends, I'll go out stand up paddle boarding. Rachel and I will go down with friends to hang out at the terrace by the lake. Maybe you do that. I mean, the Madison Lakes are fantastic. So I decided to bring a little bit of Lake Mendota to us today, so just to be able to, uh, to, to be here. Now let me, um, I just want to really give you perspective. I feel like I need to just like mix it up just a little bit, just to really give you an idea of, uh, of the beauty of Lake Mendota right there. Come on. I mean, it's like a super green smoothie, people. I, isn't that Awesome. Now, here's the thing is let's say that, uh, let's say that, that you were down by Lake Mendota. Maybe you're at the terrace or something like that. And you see someone go over and start to fill like a water glass with Lake Mendota water that they're going to go ahead drink. You see that happening. It's not even coming out that well because it's also clogged in there because it's, but we're getting some chunks. Come on. We've got some good stuff in there. So let's say that you saw somebody going over to get a glass of water from Lake Mendota. You see, as much as I love being on Lake Mendota, I don't really think I want to drink from Lake Mendota you know, and let's say that you were to see somebody doing this. What would you do if you saw somebody about to drink this? My guess is that you would intervene. And if it was someone that you knew, you would probably do it with passion and maybe a little bit of flair. You you would be like, you're not drinking that. What are you thinking? You're not going to drink that right now. Do you realize what that could do to you? See, you would step in and you would do something because you understand what potentially could be in this. You see the damage that it could do to somebody. You see When we begin to understand that idea, that gives us just a little bit of a picture of a holy God dealing with the sin in our lives. You see, God's desire is not just to forgive us of our sins and overlook the stuff. His desire is to make us holy, to make us as his people holy. That's what he was trying to do with the church. Let's take this to the perspective of of the church, big picture. So in the book of Acts, everything we have been looking at from Acts chapter two through Acts chapter five, what's, what's God doing? What's the Holy Spirit doing? He is creating the church, and the church is made up of people, people just like you and me, who have come to the place of accepting Jesus as their savior. God creates the church. The church is made up of people who are becoming together the temple of God. So now no longer is God residing in the temple, the actual physical temple, which is holy. Now the Holy Spirit, for any of us who place our faith in Jesus, comes and indwells us. So now we are the temple. We are the temple of God. And God desires for his temple to be a place that is holy. You see, we don't realize how important that is for us to really wrap our minds around. In fact, in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter three, the apostle Paul talks about this. He says, don't you know that you yourselves are the temple and that God's spirit dwells in, in your midst? You see, it's so important for us to be able to understand this perspective when it comes to the church. Now, let's go to the early church. What, what the Holy Spirit was doing at that particular time, think back to this like early church that we're looking at in Acts chapter two, three, and four. We've got this, this early church. It's like, it's brand new. It's fledgling. It's like tiny little baby church, you know? Like I get this picture like of, a, you know, almost like, like a little sapling tree. Have you ever seen one of those? It can come like in a little container of dirt, you know, and you've got this little baby tree with a little baby root you know, sitting there. And you know that once that's planted and it's taken care of, well, it's gonna grow. It's probably gonna seed and those seeds are gonna drop. It has potential of growing more trees. That one little sapling can become a forest. But like early on, that thing is like vulnerable, You see, this is kind of the way the church was back in Acts chapter two. Like God understood all that was riding on the shoulders of this early church. It would be like, I mean, think about like, if you saw someone down at Lake Mendota, let's say it's bad enough if you saw somebody getting a glass, but let's say that you saw somebody who was watching a child and was filling up a baby bottle, you know, with Lake Mendota water you know, filling that thing up and about to give it to an infant, my guess is that you would intervene really quickly, regardless if you knew that person, because you know what this stuff could potentially do. You know the damage that it could do. You see, God realizes God realizes that the damage that our sin can do, not just to ourselves, but to other people. And so his desire was to root that out when Ananias and Sapphira they stepped in and they sinned with this idea of deceit, it was like the Holy Spirit was stepping in because he was fiercely protecting the early church. It was like God was saying in that moment, "Uh-oh, not my baby church. <laughs> we're not going that way." Now, what was the sin though? Like what was it that was such a big deal that Ananias and Sapphira were doing in this particular moment? Well, I, I think that takes some clarifying because one thing I want you to understand is that, is that the sin that was happening in this moment, it was, not, it was not a sin of a lack of generosity or a sin of, of failing to give a required gift or anything like that. If you go back in chapter four to those verses that we read, one of the things you noticed is that there was no requirement that the people were having to be as generous as they were. It was just the Holy Spirit was doing work in people to where their lives were being transformed to where they were just being generous and sharing with each other and giving the way that they were. There was no part of it that said that they had to do what they were doing. It was just happening. And then it's also said that from time to time, people would come and sell property or a house. In other words, it was being mentioned because it was out of the ordinary, not the requirement. It would have gotten people's attention. People are sharing, oh, and by the way, there were people who were selling property and homes. What? Yeah, that was happening. And then as the grand finale, there's this guy. Remember Barney? Yeah, he goes, the disciples like him. He goes, he sells a whole field, brings all the money, sets it at the disciples' feet. Like there was generosity that was happening. It was not a sin of a lack of generosity. No, that's not what we see in this moment. This, now, here's the thing. Does God want us to be generous? Absolutely. He desires for us to be generous. That's what we see as the focal point, kind of of this early church. It was people who they, were, they understood each other's needs. They were sharing with one another. They were giving generously. They were giving to the church. God desires for that to be in our lives, but that's not the sin that we see happening in this story. This was not about money. This was about motive. This was about two people, Ananias and Sapphira, who were coming and giving the gift, saying that this was all of it, and actually holding a chunk back for themselves. They wanted to be seen as more godly or more Christian than they actually were. What was going on here was a, was a heart issue. It, 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 one word that probably comes to mind for you is the word hypocrite. Hypocrite comes from the Greek word Hippocrates. Hippocrates meaning an actor, a person who would get on stage and wear a mask to play a character of someone that was not really them. Ananias and Sapphira in this moment were dealing with the sin of hypocrisy, of pretending to be someone that they weren't. You see, and and, and God wanted to root that out of the early church because he understood what was on the line for this early church. And so he desired to root it out. What we see happening in this situation, it's a deep-seated heart issue. And if I'm honest, I've got the same deep-seated heart issues. And if I deal with them, my guess is, (laughs) yeah, all of us deal with it. Where we want to be seen as something that we're not. I want to be seen as more you fill in the blank than I actually am. It's a heart issue. You know, there's a passage of scripture, Jeremiah chapter 17, it talks about this. It says, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Then it says, I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind. You see, Ananias and Sapphira, they thought that they could come and they could do this and no one would catch on and they didn't remember the idea that God's the one who understands the intentions of our heart and where our mind actually goes. This was a heart issue and I'm just being honest. My heart, man, it's it's bent like a crooked stick and it has been for a long time. I want to be seen as more godly or more Christian than I actually am always have been. You know, let me give you an example. Back, um, some of you, I've mentioned before, I went to Wheaton College, which is a small Division III school in northwest suburbs of Chicago, and it's a Christian school. And so at a Christian school, most people get up on Sunday mornings and they go to church. That's what most, of the, pretty much all the students did. And back at this time, this this was like the time where people would get dressed up for church a little bit more. Some of you remember those days. And so I would get, you know, everyone would get up. I would get up and put on a shirt and tie. It was cold outside, a sport coat, and I would go to church. And then after church in the morning, everyone would go to the dining hall to eat lunch, and uh, and so. But there were plenty of mornings where I didn't get up and go to church, um, and slept in for all kinds of different reasons. But um, rather than just getting up in the morning and throwing on sweats and going to the dining hall, um, I would get up and put on a shirt and tie, so and a sport coat, and then go to the dining hall. So why? because I wanted everybody to think that I had gone to church that morning. I wanted to be seen as more godly than I actually am. All right, let me give you another example. Um, sometimes when I am at home, this is present day, I, um, there are times where my wife, Rachel, she'll be doing projects around the house or cleaning up something, maybe bringing in groceries from the car. And I have this internal antenna that goes up to where I can tell when she is about done. And, and in that moment, I have just found that it's really great to be able to go and say, honey, is there anything I can do to help you? Now, here's the thing, this is reality. I don't wanna help her. I, I, I just, I wanna be seen though, as being helpful. And so in those moments, she's like, no, no, no. I'm just about done. Oh, really? Oh, I'm so sorry. Well, you know, I was willing. Anyone else ever do that? You see, I, like, I have that ability. I don't really want to help. I just want to be seen as a helpful person. Can I give you another example? Sometimes when I, when I go out to like a coffee shop or like to go get ice cream and they still have the actual tip jar there and I will want to give a tip. I don't always do it, but sometimes I'll have you know, a couple extra bucks in my pocket and I will go to give that tip, but I will wait until the people there are watching so that I can take my tip money And throw it in the jar to where now I am the generous person. You see, if no one was looking, there's no way I would put the money in there. But when they're looking, I will go ahead and put the money because then, yeah, I know that they have seen because I long to be generous. How much more time do we have? I could just keep going with these. So I got plenty. And if I'm all honest, I mean, those ones are kind of cute and fun. They're ones that I have that are way darker and way more ugly. You see, because I have a heart issue. And my guess is you do too. Because the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. So here's my question for you. Where are you faking it? Where are the places in your life right now, regardless of your in your room or any of our sites or at home, where are the places where you're you're faking it? You're an actor. You're putting on a front to look more you fill in the blank than you actually are. I want people to think that I am more generous more gracious, more humble, more servant-hearted, more forgiving, more loving, what is it that I actually am? The room gets really quiet. You see, I think that we can be people when we end up living this way, there's a reason why we actually, we end up doing this more than anything else And we actually see it in this story right at the place in between the end of chapter four and the beginning of chapter five. End of chapter four, Barnabas gives this amazing field, brings all the money. And what we see in the story of Barnabas is, I mean, he like the disciples, they love him. That's the reason why they changed his name to Barnabas. He is up and to the right in the church. We're gonna hear about him more. You see, I think Ananias and Sapphira saw what was happening with Barnabas. And they're like, hmm, I want some of that. So they go sell a field. They go sell property. But then they're like, but I don't actually want to give it all. I just want to be seen that way. I want the the notoriety and the esteem and the acclaim. I want to be seen as that type of person. I don't actually want to be there. You see, what was taking place, it was this piece of comparison that we all fall into all the time. We compare ourselves to other people. It happens the moment that you walk into church, whatever site or venue you're in right now, it ends up happening where I'm comparing myself internally to the other people who are around. And I want to be seen as somebody who's more godly, more spiritual, more Christian than potentially I actually am. We do it all the time. Regardless if it's people in person, social media. Don't get me started with the way that we end up doing that in social media, of wanting to look like somebody that we're actually not. So much of it has to do with comparison. But here's the thing, there is no win in comparison. And there's something that takes place when we enter into this world of deceit, and hypocrisy, and ultimately lying. Now praise God that if people are not still dropping dead because of that. Because if we're true, there'd be nobody listening to church right now. We would all be gone, myself included, all of us. But you know, I think there's something that happens when 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 we continue down this world uh, of deceit and and hypocrisy, we actually end up robbing ourselves of something. It, it, we end up we end up robbing ourselves one <laughs> of experiencing. God's actual grace and mercy and forgiveness. You see, because we, we serve a God who says, regardless of where you are, regardless of the things in your life, regardless of what it is that you're doing, regardless of what you don't want anyone else to know about, yeah, I love you. And I sent my son to die for you to pay for all of that stuff that you want to pretend is not there. And so my grace, my mercy, and it's sufficient for you. And that's true for any of us who place our faith in Jesus. When we enter into this world of of, of hypocrisy, of deceit, of trying to look like someone that we're not, we actually end up beginning to fool ourselves, thinking we have to be that way in order for God to really accept us. And in the process of that, we rob ourselves of truly experiencing grace. There's another thing that happens. is we begin to actually think that we are that type of person, and in doing that, like I actually am thinking now that I am better than I actually am, and in the process of that, we miss We miss the opportunity for God to do true, transforming work in our lives to make us more holy, to make us more like Jesus. God's desire is that he would, man, we would experience his grace and mercy and forgiveness and his transforming work. God is not okay with just forgiving us and leaving us where we're at. His desire is to transform us more and more into the image of Jesus, to get the Lake Mendota out of our lives that does damage to us and damage to other people. You know, when I think about it, when I, you know, I think a lot about Blackhawk Church. It's probably a good thing I'm a pastor. <laughs> when I think about the church that, and I hope that we continue to become, the type of culture that we want to have around here, Man, it's a culture that says that when you walk through the doors of this place, you are accepted exactly how you are. And yet where we can be a community of people together, as the church, (laughs) the temple where the Holy Spirit dwells, a, a community of people where we continue to challenge one another and encourage one another and gently nudge one another towards becoming more like Jesus That's what the church, that's what our church should look like. So what does that look like for you? Well, I want to give you a challenge. I would love for you to take like some real work just to kind of do a self-diagnostic this week, just to be able to look at where are the places where you're potentially faking it? Where are the places where you're an actor right now and you're wanting to be seen as more you fill in the blank than, than you actually are? And I wanna challenge you with that information, one, to bring it before God, because we all need to understand that we're completely accepted by him. And also, I'd love for you to bring it to somebody else. Who's someone who you can have a conversation with about that? It could be a family member, it could be someone in your life group, it could be a trusted friend, somebody who you know loves you that you can have that conversation with and get real open and honest about what are the things that you're honestly struggling with that you're living hypocritically in, because we all have them. And, and here's the thing is, if somebody comes to you, for some of you, that means somebody's going to be coming to you and having that conversation. Here's what I want to encourage you to do. I want to encourage you to not, to not to like be judgmental, you know, but just to listen and to take it in and to ask questions and to be curious and then to end with this question, what can I do to help? Because look, God's desire for us as a church, his desire is that we would be a community of people broken people who, who understand from our relationships together the grace and mercy and forgiveness that God shows us in the way we accept one another. And yet living in the tension and the balance of continuing to encourage and challenge one another to become more like Jesus, that our lives would be transformed by the Holy Spirit, that we would look more like Christ. Let me pray for us. God, thank you so much for the fact of, first off, just for the fact of your forgiveness. I think of, uh, I think of this story that we read today and I resonate with it deeply because I know how flawed I am. I know the intentions of my heart. I know what goes on inside. And so, Lord, I pray that you would one, help me, help all of us, each of us listening right now, to remember how accepted, how truly accepted we are by you. How the fact that your forgiveness is for everything it is that we would want to hide. And at the same time, Father, would you do a work inside of us that only you can do to make us more holy, to make us more like Jesus that we would become more the people that you desire for us to be, that we would be the church that you desire for us to be. We pray these things in Jesus' name and all God's people together said,